You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The Teaching of the Master, Part 2, Chapter 6, Mercy for the Merciful, Matthew Chapter 5, Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The root of the saying is to be found in words of David. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. God is always the same, and the qualities he shows towards men are constant, and will be experienced in human life. Yet those qualities are not always revealed in the present age. And David in the psalm stands on the ground of his past experience of God to look forward to a day when God will save the afflicted. The psalm, drawing on the events of the Exodus for its imagery, foreshadows the day described in Habakkuk in language which echoes David's and looks to God's visible intervention when he will vindicate both the qualities embodied in his memorial name and the man who reflects those qualities and whom, therefore, he loves. Seen against the background of law, psalms and prophets, the expression to obtain mercy is bound up with God's covenant and carries the thought forward to the days of God's kingdom and righteousness. What the quality of mercy is, in the sense in which Jesus uses the term, may best be found from examining the two occasions on which he quotes Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. The enquiry will lead back not only to the immediate context of the words in Hosea, but to the wider use of the word rendered mercy, chesed both in Hosea 6, verse 6, and Psalm 18, verse 25. Also frequently rendered loving-kindness, it can be applied, one, to God's attitude towards men, two, to men's attitude towards God, and three, to men's attitude towards one another. As used of God, it is specifically associated with his covenant, Dr. N. H. Snaith points out that in out of 43 cases in the Old Testament, in which the noun chesed is linked by a copula with another noun, in 23 it is associated with firmness, truth, faithfulness, in seven with a covenant, and in four with righteousness. Out of 18 cases in which chesed occurs in a parallelism, 
In nine, the other member of the parallelism is one of the words meaning faithfulness, and in four, a word for righteousness. A classic example is Micah 7 verse 20, where the truth to Jacob is paralleled with the mercy to Abraham, and both are equivalents for the Abrahamic covenant. In such a connection, chesed might fairly be rendered covenant love. The same word is used in Hosea 6 verse 4 of Israel's attitude to God when he tells them, Your goodness is as a morning cloud. The words quoted by Jesus follow in the same context, the theme of which is, They have not known the Lord. The context leaves it beyond doubt that the mercy which God desires is an affectionate fulfilment of the covenant with him. I desired mercy, but they have transgressed my covenant. By contrast, God's mercy towards Israel is shown in his faithfulness in the covenant against all provocation. When Jeremiah, in the chapter which contains many echoes of Hosea, says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He shows that love is the motive and loving kindness, chesed, the expression of it in a certain constant relation. The Septuagint frequently render loving kindness by mercy. And so the latter meaning is carried over into the New Testament. But it is easy to see that neither in Greek nor in English can any one word bear all the meaning which the term has in the Old Testament. Jesus would probably speak to the Pharisees in Aramaic and might make the quotation in the original Hebrew. His meaning, therefore, need not be limited by the Greek. That the context of Hosea 6 verse 6 was in his mind when he quotes the words in Matthew 9 verse 13 is certain. Israel in Hosea 6 verse 1 confess the need of healing. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. And Jesus says, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What were the circumstances in which these words were spoken? It was at Matthew's feast, and in reply to the criticism of Jesus' habits addressed by the Pharisees to the disciples. Matthew was one of the despised class of collectors of tolls and dues on behalf of the wealthy publicani, who farmed the taxes from the government. And Matthew had left his toll booth at the call of the master, Follow me. At the earliest opportunity he held a dinner to mark the closing of his old life, and to celebrate his joy at the opening of a new life in the company of Jesus. He was one of the sons of the bride-chamber who rejoiced while the bridegroom was with them, and his rejoicing took the form of gathering together 
as many as he could of his old companions and people of his own class to meet Jesus. In accordance with Oriental custom, others came uninvited as onlookers at the feast. The Pharisees, so punctilious in their legal observances, found a stumbling block in the teacher's friendly intercourse with publicans and sinners. But such men knew their need of salvation, while the Pharisees were blinded by confidence in their own righteousness. One, at least, of the despised class had shown something more. Matthew had revealed his loving kindness toward Christ in obeying the summons to follow him, and that loving-kindness overflowed to his former associates when he brought them near to his Lord. It was among the tax-gatherers and fishermen that this true mercy, Godward as well as manward, was to be found. The Pharisees might go as they would to the feet of their rabbis, but they never learned this love which alone can bind men to God. The second time that Jesus uses Hosea's words is when again he is accompanied by the sons of the bride chamber. But this time he compares them to the companions of David, and therefore implies that he is the seed of David. It was when the Pharisees objected because the disciples plucked ears of corn on the Sabbath, and Jesus recalled to them, what David did when he was anhungered, and they that were with him. In their midst was a greater than David, who is even Lord of all. The priest, too, in the temple profaned the Sabbath in the very act of carrying out the law's own requirements, and were guiltless. One greater than the temple was in their midst, because in him the God of the temple was made manifest. Why did they not recognize him? Because they did not know what this meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. They had substituted their own righteousness, which is of the law, for love towards God, and therefore they could not recognize the love of God revealed in his own Son, whom he had sent into their midst. And so they condemned the Lord's disciples when they were as guiltless as the priests carrying out the service of God in the temple. But he was recognized by these open-hearted men who gave up their all to follow him. These disciples were not always merciful in the narrower sense. They might in their zeal earn Christ's rebuke by wanting him to call down fire from heaven on his adversaries. But they knew their Lord and Christ because they had hearts not blinded by self-righteousness. Knowing their need, they could know God's love extended to meet their need and could answer with their own affection towards God and his Son. And from that point they could grow into the fullness of mercy towards men when they went forth at the risk of their lives with a message of life in Christ's name, knowing that 
He that converteth a sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. These, then, were the men of God's covenant. These were men of loving kindness, who by that quality were enabled to know and to receive the loving kindness of God revealed in Christ Jesus. Yet his loving kindness comes to them in a form which they can never return though they may reflect it to men frail as themselves. For it is the compassion with which the Lord pitieth them that fear him. To these men God showed himself merciful, because they had eyes to see and ears to hear. They obtained mercy through forgiveness of sins when they companied with Christ, and will receive mercy in full when they shared in the mercy to Abraham in the day of resurrection. For the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. They will be embraced in the eternal covenant of God. Yet at their best theirs was only a pale reflection of the quality of their master, who is perfect in love towards God and men. The covenant mercy must first of all take the form of forgiveness, since men are sin-stricken and needed to be healed. Therefore the love of God comes to them as mercy in the more conventional sense of the word. But man does not by nature want mercy. He wants power. The desire to obtain mercy is not a thing native to his own spirit, for the desire is an acknowledgement of that Eternal One who is wholly other than ourselves. Left to grow untrammeled, the I that is in us seeks to assert itself. And if a man begs mercy from another who has more power than he, his object is to preserve himself or to adapt himself to that which he cannot control. That is why men's religion leans to magic, by which they seek to gain power over, or effect, an adjustment to the unseen world, or to a wish-fulfilled belief in the continuity of their own being, or to the imaginative projection of their own self-assertion into some despotic bale or chemosh. Let us make us a name, puts in a phrase, one of the leading motive forces in human nature either as individuals or in combination. When desolation comes on their works, a philosophy recognising their own littleness may be forced on them by facts outside themselves. But this alone is not enough to bring them to see God. Faith in the God of mercy needs that I to be broken down from inside the soil for a responsive relationship to grow between the eternal God and man is a broken and a contrite heart. Both the need and the fact of mercy recur in the Bible literally from Genesis to Revelation, and in a way which marks out its message as standing apart from all beliefs which have been evolved out of man's own consciousness. While we were yet sinners, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to die for the ungodly. 
in order that whoever turned to believe on him might not perish but have eternal life. And just as there is no basis for the hope of eternal life in Christ unless the death from which he saves is really death, so there is no basis for the concept of God's mercy except in a frank and full admission of the concept of sin. And it is just this reality of man's indebtedness to God which calls for his forgiveness towards his debtors. The saying of the Lord, therefore, carries us beyond any merely human conception of man. And by placing man in his right relation to God, places him also in his right relation to other men. The Lord saying, therefore, searches out a man and lays him bare. By recalling his own need for mercy, it shows him a lonely atom of powerless flesh, naked before the light of God. The line of thought we have been considering deals with a man as an individual brought to know his need, and therefore changed in his attitude to other individuals. But the recipient of God's mercy is no longer an isolated fragment of humanity. He is brought into the covenant. He becomes an integral part of a whole. The commonwealth of Israel, the household of God, the body of Christ. And therefore the saying which brings home to him his terrible isolation opens up the way to a new union in the divine fellowship on which the kingdom of God will be founded. By breaking down the self-sufficiency of the individual soul, God welds men and women into the temple in which they are living stones. And at this point we return to the thought that the mercy and the covenant of God are inseparable ideas. And we do not doubt that the fullness of meaning which the Old Testament reveals was in the mind of the Lord Jesus when he spoke of the mercy which the merciful would obtain. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. 
you can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.